If you would, turn with me this morning in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. The letter of Paul to the Ephesians, and we're at chapter 4, and we're going to start reading with verse 1 and move to 6. This is the Word of God. Hear these words. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Help us now to feed on Your Word by faith in our hearts. You told Satan in the wilderness, in the temptation, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. May we feed on You today and be full when we leave this place, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. There is only one church. There's only one Lord. There's only one Spirit. This one church is founded by that one Lord and led, so to speak, by that one Spirit who is the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of that founder, Jesus. Last week, we talked about the church is born. And it's born of the Spirit. When the Spirit descends... When the Spirit comes because of what Jesus accomplished in His earthly life through the cross, through the resurrection, they were told to wait on the promise of the Father. That promise came on Pentecost, 50 days after after Passover. Hence the reason Pentecost, literally meaning the 50th day. And the church was born. And today I want to say, secondly, in this series of The Church Is... It's kind of the name of the series. The church is one. So there's one church. You say, well, so we're the only one? No, God forbid. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying we are a part of that one church if our founder is Jesus Christ and we find ourselves in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. We are that one church. We are the church. You remember the little, uh, I don't know, kids um, teaching where you say, look, you know, the, the church is not the building or the steeple, but instead it's the people. Kind of a little, a little rhyme that is quite theologically profound. Because the church is not a building. You know, we say, well, this is the church. We're going to church. Uh, or, hey, we have church at 10. But the church is beyond 10 to 11. 
30-ish. Let me give myself a buffer zone here so you won't leave. The church is beyond just an hour and a half, isn't it? Of course. The church is more than just this one geographical local location, surely. This rented building. Absolutely. So, what is the church? That's what we're going to be talking about over the next few Sundays. And essentially, we're going to say the church is one holy, Catholic, apostolic. Those four considered marks of the church. Catholic being universal, apostolic being in the line of the apostles. In other words, what we have today, what we preach today, the good news that we offer to the world today is the good news that was offered to the original apostles, the original followers of Jesus by Jesus Himself. Again, what we have today is the same message, the same good news as Jesus came to give. (laughs) Now, I don't want to get into that message yet because we're talking about the church being one today. So what does it mean for the church to be one? Paul has a great introduction here. He says, look, I'm a prisoner of the Lord and I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called. If you're a Christian, you have a calling on your life, namely to God. People always ask, especially you know, ministers and, and spiritual directors in their life, they say, what is God's will for me? In particular, younger people, you know, if you ever go to a youth camp and, and help at a youth camp, this is one of the number one questions is, what is God's will for me? I've come to this answer. God's ultimate will for you and for everyone that I'm looking at in this room and outside of this room or yet to be born is to God. That is your number one calling is to God. He is calling you to love Him. He is calling you to be with Him. To receive Him in your soul. That's the number one calling. That's what all people have as a calling upon their life. And that, is it not the most important thing? I mean, we could have a a million different jobs that we do or have done. And some people swap, swap careers and whatnot. But if your first and foremost calling is not to God, if it's to money, or if it's to pleasure, or if it's to power, in the end, it's fickle. In the end... It's nothing. In the end, it's not love because love is God. God is love. So your first calling, if you want to know God's will for your life, ultimately is to know Jesus Christ. It's to know Him and Him crucified. Now after that, He may place other callings upon your life. People have been called to the mission field. I was called to preach. I felt called to marry Jessica. I was actually, uh, we're living with my parents in Decatur, and I remember very specifically one day by myself in their house praying whether or not I should uh, ask her to be my wife. And I remember very specifically that day, a very emotional day, and a day filled with prayer and confirmation for me. Um, uh, I remember the place I was standing, and I, I stood there last night about 11.30 when I was headed to bed, and I thought... Wow, that was a long time ago. Actually, nine years, well, ten years ago, right? Yeah. Because we're about to celebrate nine years this week. 
this week? Yeah. Good. Somebody remind me of that one. As much as I'm forgetting today, uh, I'm, I'm probably, you know, the disorganization uh, is probably uh, relating to my life right now. <laughs> That's how I feel. I have, I, my whole life is disorganized and compartmentalized in boxes in a garage where we're not even living. So uh, you can imagine the turmoil that would cause. But, you know, these subsequent callings to marriage, callings to a job, callings to the mission field or wherever have to be subsequent after, in other words, that first and primary calling, and that's to God. We were created to know God. We were created to talk to God. To love God. We have a capacity to apparently hold God in this body. <laughs> what an, I mean, has anybody ever stopped to think about that for a second? The trees don't. The animals don't. Jesus did not become a cat and die for cats. They wouldn't have followed anyway. He did not become a rose bush to die for roses. Rather, He died for humans. God became a human and made a path for Himself to dwell in this temple. This is what Paul elsewhere calls the body is the temple of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians. And he says in there as a warning in chapter 3, he says, if whoever destroys the temple of God, this body of God, God will destroy them. We are to be holy. We are called to be holy because God is holy. We're called to love. We're called to forgive. We're called to reconcile. Be peacemakers. Why? Not because it's the right thing to do, but because that's what God does. It's the only thing to do. As I said earlier, today is Trinity Sunday where we in particular put emphasis on the Holy Trinity. And if we're talking about the church being one, obviously there are many churches. Can I get an amen on that? <laughs> Especially in Protestantism, right? I heard a story once where a fellow got trapped on an island and he was shipwrecked there by himself. When they came to rescue him, he was a religious man. When they came to rescue him, there were two churches. They asked him what happened, and he said, we, we had a split. That's typical of Protestantism. Uh, you know, even by yourself, he said, he stopped going there. He couldn't abide there any longer. Um, you know, these, these sorts of things happen. Uh, we, we have many different cultures, traditions, theological beliefs, ways of interpreting certain paths. There are many and varying. Trust me. Uh, when you dive into that world, that scholarly world of differences, one can get lost quick, but there is hope. There's great hope in particular today. Things are starting to turn around, uh, being led both by Catholics, Orthodox, and Protestants, which are three main branches of Christendom in the world. Things are turning around. 
People are looking for what it is we all believe in, what it is we can all join hands on. In particular, our founder, who is Jesus Christ. The Bible, which is the Word of God. The Holy Spirit, who comes to infill our life and lead us into a life of holiness. These things are essential. And in the essential things, the church is one on. In the non-essentials, the things where we discuss and methods and means of certain things such as baptism, nobody disagrees with baptism. It's the method. That's where everybody gets caught up in. Or the means. Or who. Or when. There's tons of questions that the Bible isn't as clear as we want it to be on. Those things we need to be gracious on. So in other traditions, I want to be gracious toward that. I want to see their position and be gracious. Not condemning. What good is that? Paul warns strongly in his epistles against disunity, against division, against those who would come in and focus on things that are not important or essential. So it's not a pseudo-oneness, false oneness. It's a real oneness. There's a real oneness in the church, just like there's a real oneness in the Holy Trinity. The greatest affirmation in the Bible is God is one. Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, Yisrael, that the Jews say every day, including today, uh, and and Jesus would have said it twice, if not six times a day, every day of His life. He would have quoted from Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6 says, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Monotheism. Plain and simple. There is only one God. And yet, what Jesus reveals to us, what was already rumbling and being founded in the Old Testament, seen in the Father, seen in the angel of the Lord, and then the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, more clearly gets seen in Jesus Christ, who is the only begotten of the Father. So He comes from the Father on mission by the Father and by the Father's will, is concerned with doing the Father's will and also is going back to the Father. So there is a distinction between the Father and the Son. And Jesus says, if I don't leave, the Spirit will not come. I must go so that He can come because when He comes, He's going to teach you all things that I said and He's going to point to me. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, one God in three persons, a unity in Trinity, Trinity in unity, what I call a triunity. Now you say, well, that's kind of odd, deep, hard to understand and believe. Well, we are dealing with God. Might I remind you, this is way beyond biology. And there are some big words in biology. Trust me, my brother rats them off constantly to me. I learned what a disc was this week. Uh, I asked him because Drew was having surgery. So typically when I don't know something, I call my brother who's, as you, if you don't know, he's an orthopedic surgeon. And so I said, do you know what a disc is? And I don't mean the one you put in your CD player, you know. So he begins to explain, and he used all these big words. 
these huge concepts, these things that are hard for me to grasp. And I say, that's in me? Really? You know, I'm doing this number while I'm driving. We come to physics, huge words, hard concepts, chemistry, formulas. When you look out <laughs> into the galaxy, galaxies, I should say, when you look down into atoms, the world gets complicated. Why would we come to God and say, piece of cake? No, no, no. He's, he's the one who created those things. <laughs> he thought of that. He's the one who designed this world. Like, did you not hear what Casey read this morning? Wisdom was there when He created everything. It was the one measuring out, doing the mathematics, running the numbers, creating the formulas. We're dealing with God, the Maker of all things, created, visible, and invisible. And at the end of the day, the Holy Trinity can't be understood by pure human reason. It's a great mystery. Just like the Incarnation. Just like the Resurrection. Just like our salvation. Ultimately, we must fall down on our knees and worship. That's the only right response. Not in your head understand. When the Lord at the Last Supper, He doesn't pass out the, the Eucharist the bread and the wine and say, take and understand. No, there's no way they would have understood. There's no way I continue to understand. Even though we take it every single month. Religiously. Pun intended. It's still a great mystery. This is my body. Realize that you're not going to be able to contain God in your brain. That's impossible. But you can love Him. But you can be in awe of Him. Isn't it amazing when you find something that you can't control? I mean, tornadoes are a disastrous and terrible thing, and yet there is an awesome power and mystery behind it. I mean, I saw some of the videos from Oklahoma of that thing spinning up and just the raw power of those storms, all we can do is stand in awe of that. We can't control that. Even with all our you know, little devices and, and, and radars, mathematics and calculations, we still cannot control it. We just stand in awe. So too, on an exponentially greater level, God... Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this divine family, this divine community. Why do you think He puts such an emphasis on family? Because He Himself is a divine family. Why is there so much emphasis on relationship? Because this is three persons relating. The Father loves His Son, sends His Son for the sake of the world. The Son obediently loves His Father all the way to the end. And lovingly, both send the Holy Spirit to us. To be in us. 
to shed abroad God's love in our hearts. That's not a love you conjure up. I gotta love my wife more. I really need to love these kids more. I really need to love that guy. No, it's something that only God can bring to your heart. It's not by more discipline. It's not by better understanding it. It's by better receiving Him. Again, our first calling, Paul says, is to God. And once we get God, we get what we need, ultimately. You can have everything in this world and not have God and have nothing. Or have nothing in this world and have God and have everything. It's interesting here what Paul does. Notice what he says in verse 3. He says he's eager to he says be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. Now without getting too grammatical into genitives of subjective and objective genitives the unity preposition of and in the Greek spirit. We put the the there just because it makes us feel better. Unity of the spirit. Unity of Spirit. Now, is unity floating out there as a thing and an object apart from God? Or is this unity God? Is the source of the unity something outside of God? Or is it God? God. In the beginning, God. Not God plus. In the beginning, God. First verse of the Bible. It's a good one to remember. Easy. There's only God in the beginning. He creates everything else. Unity only comes from the Spirit. In other words, if we're going to be a church that's unified, if we see ourselves as a church in unity with the invisible church that's outside of these walls, that's in China, India, Africa, that has preceded us, that will go after us, that church, that unity, is that one Spirit that Paul talks about. There's only unity in the Spirit. He brings unity. It's not something we whip up here at Harvest Point. The more people who have the Spirit, the more unified we will be. Now, that's not a uniformity. It doesn't mean that you're going to be dressing in a tie. And I'm glad that we have an assortment of people here that aren't wearing ties. I'm the only one. Hey, that's fine. Not uniformity. We don't have to look the same. We don't have to come from the same traditions or even believe in all the same things. There are varying beliefs held in this one room. The imperative, the essential is that we have the one Spirit. That's what makes us one. We have the one Lord, the one faith, one baptism, 
the one hope in Jesus Christ. We are an we are a future oriented community. Look, as my dad always says, you know, people say, look, you know, I, I don't want to go to church because too many hypocrites there. And Jesus warns, he says, look, right now the wheat is with the tares. In other words, the fruit is with the weeds. The grass is mixed in with weeds, much like my former yard. And I'm not going to pull them up right now. When they get pulled out, when they get separated, the goats from the sheep will be at the end of time. For now, we have goats among us. For now, we have weeds among us. The church is a hospital and there are sick people here. There are people who are still dead in their sins. That's okay. That's okay. It's not a place for those who only have made it because none of us have. We're all striving to continue to please God at each step of the way. Each new door we go through, each new level we reach, it opens up deeper stuff in here that we give to God and submit to God. That's why Paul says, I continue to press on to perfection. It's not a matter of giving up. Never get there. Might as well just jam the gears. Who cares? You can't shift perfectly anyway. Just jam them. No, that's not the idea at all. Work for perfection every single time. That's what the Spirit wants to come to do in us. That's what makes us one as a church. One in this one body. Notice what Paul says. There is only one body. There's only one church. You know, God is one, even though He's three distinct persons. Father, Son, and Spirit do not do the same thing, so to speak. They don't have the same, what you call, economy. In other words, the Holy Spirit, His job is different than the Son's job. The Spirit does not take on flesh. The Father does not take on flesh, but the Son does. The Father doesn't die on the cross, but His Son does. Distinction. Not uniformity. Diversity. That's a good thing. It's a good thing we come from different backgrounds. It's a good thing we offer different gifts. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, look, there are many and varying gifts, and yet all in one body. It'd be terrible if I was only a big toe. It'd be horrible. Just one hairy big toe. Might have been better to use a female toe, but it's too late now. No, I have two big toes, but that's not my whole body. I have fingers, ears. All these very different parts of our body, all functioning, right, together to make me one body. So too is the church. There's only one head that's attached to any body. Christ is that head. He's our leader. There's one flock, so to speak, and one shepherd. Just as there is one soul for each one body, so too there is one spirit for the church. You say... 
How do I know if I'm part of the church? If you have that one spirit. And that spirit will identify with other spirits in this room. That you are children of God. Heirs of Christ. You see, our salvation is found in becoming also one with God. So God is this trinity, triunity, three persons, one God, in unity, only one God. And yet within God, there are these three distinctions. Not confused, not confounded. That's from a creed, the Athanasian Creed. But our salvation too is in us finding ourselves in Christ. Have you ever noticed in Paul's writings how many times he's how many times he says in Christ? What was Jesus' last prayer recorded in John 17? Last full prayer at least. He kind of gives one from the cross. His last prayer is in John 17, where he says, I pray that they are one. As we are one. So who's our example of oneness? God. How are we saved? By becoming one with God. How do we become one with God? Through Jesus Christ. Be in Christ by faith. Repent of your sin. Repent of your way. Resign from your life and give your life over to God. The Bible describes this relationship between us and God as a marriage. Now we're celebrating nine years that has produced four children, four men, as I say. And Jessica and I are one. Now, if you know us, we are not alike. Thanks be to God. Some of you wish I were her. Um, But I'm not. I'm Marshall. I'm different. I'm bigger. (laughs) There are many things that set us apart. No one would disagree with that. And yet, we are a team. We are one. We're a unit. The Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. And that Christ, Jesus, is the husband. He's the one, in other words, who provides He's the one who always initiates the relationship. We don't. Our job is to receive. You know, just like in your uh, basic tool instructions, you have female and male ports, if you will, at least in the electronic world. We are the female. We receive from God. That's why we talk about the whole salvific process being by grace. He provides everything. He's the one down on His knee. The proposal is the cross. He's done everything possible to make the way to Himself and oneness with God, unity with God, possible in Jesus Christ. And so, if the church is one... Like the Holy Trinity, so too we must be one with God 
in our own lives. That's your ultimate aim. Really, you can sum up if somebody ever asks you, what is the meaning of life? It's union and communion with God. We are meant to be one with Him and to commune with Him. How are we joined to Christ? Well, we just spent, I think, seven Sundays on the atonement. Being at one with Christ. So I'm not going to belabor through all those. Suffice it to say, He is the foundation of our oneness in salvation with Him. We are meant to be one with Him. That's where we're all moving is to meet Him one day. Lastly, not only is God a trinity, a triunity, not only are we called as, the, as uh, people to be one with God, but also we're called to live in community or in communion. These are kind of big terms, but to break it down, calm means with unity. That's all community means, with unity. Community. Communion with union. So when we take Christ into our bodies, represented in the the meal that He left for us, it's symbolic of what is supposed to happen in faith, which is we are to be one with Christ. In other words, when I go on a trip, when I make decisions in my life at work, I don't make them just for me. I make them with Jessica in mind. That takes some getting used to, doesn't it? Don't you remember those days? Some of us say the first year of marriage is, was really difficult. Uh, it wasn't for us, but um, you know, each to his own. Uh, some of the other years have been more difficult than, than that first one. Because it takes time to release yourself. It takes time to forget yourself. It takes time to forgive, time to reconcile... Those are things that must happen if you're ever to be in relationship with another person. In particular, a marriage where you're one. Again, it's not uniformity. Jessica doesn't ride mountain bikes and get hurt like I do. She doesn't play softball and mess up her knee and both shoulders. You know, she's not that dumb. Not uniformity, but unity. That's the kind of union we're to have with Christ. He's not trying to erase you like in Hinduism where you merge into Brahman. No. No. No, no. You keep your person, just like there are three persons within the Godhead, you keep your person and yet you are one with Him. You guys can walk together. You begin to look like Him, to talk like Him. And these are all obviously good things. Some friends you get around that you begin to talk like them, not a good thing. With God, always a good thing. We are called and created for community. To live in a community. And that primary community, before our family, before our work, before our friends, is the church. Now, most of us put a low priority on the church. We don't prepare before we come to church. It's not what we think about during the week. We don't offer ourselves in service to the church. And yet, that is the one community that will not stop when you die. That's the one community that will last forever is the church. Families will be merged with the family of God. 
Jesus says there won't be marriage like it is here in heaven. But the community of God will continue. So the church is one. There is only one church and that founder is Jesus Christ. Do you know that founder? Has He established your own life? Are you one with God? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Just like in a marriage, sometimes you feel distant. Are you distant from God right now? Don't let that love grow cold. Today, the Holy Spirit can rekindle the love of God in your heart because it's His love. He can bring unity to division. He can make you one with Himself. He can save your soul. It's what He came to do. It's what the church today offers in the good news is oneness, wholeness. Do you know that peace? Or are you living a divided life? Not a one, not a unity, but division. Is there division in your own soul? That's that's the worst kind of way to live is a double life. It's fun at first and it becomes hell very quickly. And it will lead you straight to hell. You can't divide Christ. You cannot divide the church ultimately. If there's division in your heart, if you don't know Jesus Christ and that ultimate essential calling, you can today. This very hour, this very minute, you can know Him. The good news is that we can be one with God. We can be one with others. It's what He's called us to do. It's where we're headed. And as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Let Him do it in you today. Amen.